How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Your steadfast love, O Continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of the er of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away.
Let us pray. Gracious and good Father, we are glad to be here together to proclaim your grace and glory, to rest in the truth that you alone are God. We pray that in the light of your holiness, the ways that we have not loved, the ways that we have denied our neighbors, your goodness might be made clear. This morning, by the power of your word and spirit, speak life into our hearts and peace into our souls. Lord, you alone know what each of us carry this morning, the burdens, the joys, the deep longings. Give us the courage and humility to lay these things before your throne of grace. This morning, Lord, we pray especially for Cassie and Robert as they care for Robert's father and help his mother during this time of questions and shadows. We pray that you guide and comfort them. Father, we also ask that you be with the many in our number that have recently lost parents. Please be with them as they mourn their loss and bless their families in this time of deep sadness. Father, we pray that we may be confronted this morning anew by the wonder that we are your children and truly loved. We pray that we feel the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of that love that surpasses knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, this morning, uh, children are dismissed for children's church. There'll be, a there'll be children's worship for kindergarten through fourth in the cafeteria, and then for middle school in the old teacher's lounge. We will now continue our service through a time of confession. We will first do so corporately um, through word and song, and then we'll have a time for silent personal confession. Lord, whenever we seek you, love is what we find. In Christ, we know your love. He drew near and laid down his life for us so that we might live through him. When we look at ourselves, we do not always find love. Love is patient, but often we are impatient. Love is kind, but often we are rude. Love is not envious, we often covet. Lord, we turn again to your grace and love. Have mercy on us, amen. Today's song of confession is a conversation between a believer and his soul, so we invite you to sing along with the bold.
please take a moment for silent personal confession. Father, we thank you that you know us and that you are for us, even we are unable to see ourselves clearly. We thank you that when we acknowledge our weakness and our need to you, you draw near to us and restore us. Forgive us our wanderings and our grasping. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand for the words of assurance. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Um, just as we have been welcomed, let us welcome one another.
difíciles. The Old Testament lesson is from Jonah 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a city, was exceedingly a great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The New Testament lesson is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Thanks, Kayla, for reading from God's Word for us. Um, we're going to continue in our Epiphany uh, sermon series. We're going to look at the person of Jesus and how he is the revelation of God. And so uh, we're going to look at a passage from uh, John 2. You'll see in your order of worship, John 2, 1 through 11. But before I read that, uh, I want us to begin by uh, thinking about this uh, concept, something from uh, ancient Celtic kind of spirituality, um, the idea of thin places, that there are places that are thin in the world. This is something that Celtic uh, Christians in the ancient world uh, took on as well. And it's not that their uh, air was somehow you know, thinner or rarefied or that the land was somehow more narrow in those spots, but that a thin place was one that would, the distance between heaven and earth seemed to be small. The distance between heaven and earth seemed to be smaller than normal. A thin place was like a physical location where the barrier between heaven and earth was what we might think of as porous. A place where one might feel the mysterious power and presence of God. Thin place. It's a chance to think that how God is the creator of a good world, that this is a true statement. But maybe there are certain places or certain moments when we have especially felt or seen the wonder and beauty and goodness of this world and the significance of living as part of it. Our thin place, maybe we know the idea, the true idea that God is one who provides care, God is providential. But we can maybe think of certain moments or even places where we experience God's provision, his care in very practical and tangible ways. 
a gift when we faced a need, help when we needed help, a new opportunity or direction when we felt uncertain, a kind word or encouragement when we felt despair. And the idea of a thin place reminds us that our faith is not just an abstraction, but that God and the person of Christ specifically, but God in general, is involved in this world. And the term thin place speaks to such an experience. And the Bible is full of the biblical narratives, full of such places. Maybe you can think of Moses in the burning bush, or when God opens the way in the Red Sea, or there's the, the fire from heaven at Mount Carmel, the stable in Bethlehem. And when God's people, when he led them into the promised land through the Jordan River, Joshua commanded them to take stones and to build a memorial at the river. That when they saw those stones or someone else asked them what the stones were, the older generation could say and remember God's faithfulness in this place, here, in this thin place, heaven broke out into earth. Well, I mentioned this, this idea of a thin place. Maybe it's a chance for us to think about our own experiences, but it's also a chance to think about the season of Epiphany, which affirms that God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. If we want to ask what is the ultimate thin place, it is the person and life of Jesus. Here, heaven has broken into earth. Here in this person, the two overlapped. And so we have been looking, starting last week and over the next few weeks, to ask who is this person? Who is this one that reveals God? And we've been looking at gospel passages to look again about who Jesus is, that we might experience the wonder again that God has revealed himself to us. So let's look at John 2. This is verse 1 through 11. You can follow in your order of worship or in your Bible. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is God's word given for our good. Lord, we ask that your spirit would help us to hear and to receive your word, that you would illuminate it uh, to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I want us to notice or start at the very end of our passage. We see in verse 11, the last verse, that we're told that what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory. This is helpful for us to think about, you know, John's basically telling us what's going on here, that this turning of water into wine is a sign. It's something that we can see. And this thing that we can see reveals Jesus. It makes manifest, makes known Jesus' glory. So John is saying to us as we receive this passage, here is the first clue, if you will, the, the, the first opening of heaven, the first glimpse to see who this person is. And so this, this morning as we look through our passage, we can ask, you know, following this verse, what is this sign? What is this first sign? And then what does it reveal? What does it mean that it reveals Jesus' glory? So let's start here. What is this sign, the first one? Well, Jesus and his disciples were at a wedding in Cana, a neighboring village from Nazareth. And we're told that his mother is there as well. And she says to Jesus at some point, they have no more wine. Maybe you can picture a scene. There's a lot of people there from the, the village and surrounding places. She pulls them aside to tell him what she's heard, that there is this trouble brewing, that they're running out of wine. The reception has gone for a while. It seems to be going well. But now the wine has run out. Mary pulls her son aside to tell him the problem. And Jesus' response might be surprising to us if we haven't read this passage before or if it's been a while. He asks, what does this have to do with me? <laughs> what does it have to do with me? Is, is there wine and party any of our business? My time has not yet come. We'll talk a little bit later in the second question about what Jesus is saying, that he's not being you know, aggressive or refusing, but rather pointing to something else that he says is going on. But even in his words of wondering what this has to do with him, his mother continues and goes ahead, saying to the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Do whatever he says. And while Jesus is conscious that this is not the time for him to reveal his full glory, he acts. And we're told that there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification to wash. And each jar held 20 to 30 gallons of water. And Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. Fill those jars with water. There's no magical gesture, no extraordinary pronouncements, just a simple command. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Again, maybe you can picture, he, he takes then a sip. I can almost imagine that this master of the ceremony takes another sip. What is this? He whispers to the groom. Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then they bring out the poor wine. But you, you have kept the good wine until now. Water into good wine. This is the sign that Jesus fulfill, accomplishes. And we can then look and ask, what is the response to this sign? There is joy amongst those at the wedding celebration. 
can imagine maybe there was relief and wonder among those who were aware of the wine shortage, aware of what has happened. But our passage focuses on the disciples. Jesus' disciples, those who were following him, see the sign and they believe. This is the first sign. And when we hear the word sign, it's again a reminder of things that we can see. Maybe we can think of a signpost at the corner of an intersection. We see signs all the time, almost to the point we probably don't even think about them anymore, right? But when is it the most common time that we even think about a sign or, or look for one? It's when we are traveling, whether short or long distance, trying to get somewhere, walking, taking the train, navigating the airport, driving to a location. We look for signs to direct us. I don't know why, but what came to my mind when I thought about this is I thought about returning the rental car at O'Hare Airport. Maybe you guys have done that before. It's like a, it's a maze. You're just hoping to find the right sign to get to the right spot with that car. At least that's my experience. We look for signs to direct us. We want to arrive somewhere. We, we're trying not to get lost or end up in the wrong spot or avoid being kind of wasting our time or missing out on where it is that we're hoping to be. And I, if you're like me, I, I don't really think about this too often, but there is this interesting relationship with signs, that there is an unspoken promise, an unspoken promise between a sign and a traveler. Think about that. Whether your journey is short or long, whether it's something you're familiar with or something completely new, if I follow this sign, if I follow the signs, I will arrive, right? I will not become lost. I will find what I'm seeking. I'll arrive at the right spot. And this is what we're getting a glimpse of when we're told that the disciples, they saw and they believed. They are believing, meaning that they are entrusting themselves that Jesus is the one to follow. He is the sign that if I look to that sign, if I listen or pay attention to that sign, it will lead me to the place that is good. It echoes from Psalm 107. Psalm 107 has a series of images about how God rescues his people. And one of the images is that we were like those who were lost, wandering, not sure where we were or where we should go. We were hungry and thirsty, feeling the weariness in our soul of our steps. And God heard our cry and saw our wandering, the psalm says, and he leads us into a city in which to dwell he leads us into a city that can become our home. This first sign starts what Jesus promised in John 1 when he was speaking to Nathaniel. Maybe you were here last week and you heard that passage. He says to Nathaniel, if you follow me, you'll see heaven opened. If you follow me, you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on me, Jesus says. You'll see what we can go back to, the, the thin places where heaven opens and breaks into the world. It's like Jesus is saying with this sign, don't think that you'll just hear some interesting things. Don't think I'm just offering you some new rules. 
or this, I'm introducing just a kind of a new religion that tells you some interesting teaching. No, the sign in the disciples are to see and believe is that if you follow me, if you watch me, if you listen to me, if you, you will see what God, the creator of heaven and earth, is like. You'll see what the kingdom of heaven is like. And you'll see what it is when it breaks forth into this world. What is the sign? Well, in this miracle of Cana, the water to wine, the believers have the experience of something of the brightness of the heavenly world, a taste, a glimpse. And what I, I hope that we can feel these thousands of years later is that it's an invitation to you and to me again to think about the signs that we pay attention to, but also to, to, to hear again this promise and this is a promise for you and for me today that if we give our attention to Jesus, if we read the scripture and read the gospels and meditate on what he did and what he said and who he was, you too will see what God is like. It will speak to one of the most fundamental questions a human can ask. What is the God of creation like? What does it look like when the world is functioning the way God intended it to function? Jesus says, look at me, and look at how I live in my ministry. What is this sign? It is turning water into wine. It's an invitation to see the one who does this work. Which leads us to the second question is, what does this sign, what does this pointer reveal? We're told it reveals Jesus' glory. What, what does that mean? What does this sign, this first sign, reveal? And we've already touched on it a little bit, but it, what we're told is it reveals his glory. It makes known his glory, which is a way of saying it tells us Jesus' identity, that he is a second person of the Trinity, God's one and only son, full of grace and truth. And this sign allows us to see a glimpse that he acts with divine power over creation but what I, what I think it's revealing primarily, what I want you to hear, in particular, this sign reveals Jesus' glory and the gift of transformation. Water to wine. The sun creates new wine. And I want us to see that this action, this work of transformation expresses Jesus' glory in this two, two primary ways in our passage. One is compassion and the second is generosity. This work of transformation reveals the glory of God in Jesus, and we see the compassion and the generosity. Again, what is God like? What does this thin place reveal? First, Jesus in compassion turns a, a time of possible disgrace and shame into joy. Jesus in compassion acts to turn disgrace and shame into joy. That's what our God is like. When I was thinking about this wedding feast, it, it, this might sound strange, but I thought of just how crowds act, especially when maybe they want something or expect something and then it runs out. 
And I thought about, uh, there's a lot of sports teams that have promotions or free giveaways. Maybe you've been to some of those. Get a free t-shirt, you know, free cup or something, you know, free keychain. And have you ever maybe noticed how much people, you know, get so excited about that free t-shirt they never thought about before? And then when they run out, it's like the worst thing in the world that's ever happened. How could they run out of t-shirts? Well, there was an event in, in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Phillies game. It's always the Phillies fan, or Philadelphia fans for some reason. But it was the dollar hot dog night. So you can imagine all the hot dogs were one dollar. Now one mistake maybe they made was that there were no limits on the number of hot dogs. So the report I read said that people were leaving the concession stand with just piles of hot dogs, you know, in little foil casings in their arms, carrying them back to their seats. And apparently even eating contests broke out in certain sections of the stadium. But but according to reports, all 60,000 hot dogs that were on hand were purchased during the game to the point where it had to be announced that all the hot dogs had, been, had run out. No more dollar hot dogs. Well, as you might imagine, people began to boo and to jeer. And this seems strange when you're running out of hot dogs, but even some people decided the best thing to do would be to throw their hot dog onto the, on the baseball field. And, you know, people began to join in as well. Reminds us that people, including me, were, were strange, right? We're strange <laughs> creatures. So I don't think that it was, you know, uh, booing or a riot or people throwing their cups at this wedding feast. So we got, what happens if they run out of wine in a, a wedding in Cana? Well, probably not riots or throwing of their cups, but in that context, in the ancient context, where hospitality was one of the most cherished of practices, that you were to open your home and your table to your neighbor or those who had need or those who were traveling. To run out of wine at the special wedding ceremony would bring a social disgrace upon you. The bride and groom might regard it as a bad start or a shadow cast over their marriage. It's not just a bad thing to run out of wine, but there was a sense of shame that we didn't take care of our guests. And we might ask, why would the Son of God attend to such a problem? It doesn't seem as significant, right, as other things we'll see him do. Heal the paralyzed, restore the sight to the blind, raise the dead. But here in this very situation, this very human situation, a wedding and a celebration, we can witness what one author describes as the strange compassion of Jesus. The strange compassion of Jesus, not because it's not good, but because it's strange, because it's so different than the normal. It's outside the norm. At the heart of this idea that God has revealed himself is that Jesus was there. Think about that for a moment, that the God of all creation took on flesh, and he was a guest at a wedding and part of a celebration and he grants care to people wherever they are in need and deals with that need in unexpected ways. And with compassion, Jesus acts to transform shame and disgrace into joy. And you and I this day are invited to think of the, the glory that's revealed in the compassion of God. That here in God's mercy, he's drawn near to us, taking on our human nature, our flesh, to live and to die as one with us 
even to the point where he feels our deepest woes, our deepest shames, and is able to celebrate and bring forth our deepest joys as well. The sun creates new wine. And this action of transformation expresses Jesus' compassion. And the second, it also brings forth his generosity. If we're going to ask what God is like, God is a compassionate God who draws near to those in need. And God is a generous God. Jesus, with generosity, welcomes guests to an abundant feast. Maybe you notice that the passage emphasizes the lavish nature of Jesus' actions. He doesn't just give them a couple more cups of wine or doesn't just, you know, pick out a few for the, the bride and the groom. The wine's quality and its quantity indicates God's overflowing goodness and generosity. The size of the jars is highlighted. This, these are, they hold 20 to 30 gallons, and there's six of them. And John stresses the reaction of the master of the feast. He is shocked by the quality. These are aspects of generosity. The quality and the quantity point beyond the immediate context of the wedding. They point beyond the immediate context of the wedding to what scripture calls the wedding feast of the lamb. The wedding feast of the lamb. And so this is what Jesus was saying when he said his time has not yet come. But that he was pointing, that he knew that his actions pointed beyond. The generosity that he does bring forth points to an ancient promise in the Old Testament that God will bring forth a great feast for his people. In Isaiah 25, it says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, make a feast of well-aged wine, the best of wine. And at this feast, God himself will swallow up on this mountain the covering that has cast over all peoples, the veil that has spread over all nations, that God himself will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away forever. I want us to see that Jesus' generosity in a wedding feast context is pointing to this promise. This is the very glory, the very purpose, the very work of Jesus, to take away the reproach, to wipe away tears from our faces, to remove the shadow of death, and to provide us with the richest of goodness. My hour has not yet come. It's not my time. Throughout the gospel, Jesus will speak about his hour and his time it's not a refusal to help, but rather it's reminding people that there is something beyond. All these signs are pointing to something beyond. When does his hour arrive? When does this time come? When is his full glory revealed? And we're told through scripture that it's on the mountain called the skull. On the mountain of the cross. At his sacrificial death, Jesus says, this is my hour. This is when you can see my glory on display. 
This is the chief event, the thin place where heaven and earth come together. The divine, eternal word takes on flesh. And not just taking on flesh, but experiencing rejection and lies and despair, thirst and pain, and even death for us and for the world. Here on the cross, we'll see the full generosity of our God who breaks the bondage of his people and the wedding in Cana and the miracle of the wine is a foretaste of that glory. That God in his compassion and generosity can bring transformation, disgrace to joy, covering of death and bondage to life and a feast. This wedding is a pointer to God's promise and that Jesus is the one who welcomes us to the feast. He's the one who brings the wine that is promised. This is the first sign that reveals Jesus' glory. You have kept the best wine for last. And this sign reveals God's compassion and his generosity for us in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, that you are a God that is good and draws near to us. It brings actions and presence that makes things different. We pray today, Lord, that you would speak into our lives, bringing joy and hope into places of shame, reminding us that our future does not lie in the shadows of death and darkness, but in your feast of goodness. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
We give you thanks, O God, for making your love evident since the very beginning of time when you spoke your word which replaced the darkness of chaos with life-giving light. We rejoice that this same word became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. We thank you for this light of life and we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Having heard God's word, uh, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. And as we practice this gift each week, we also remind ourselves of what it is that we are invited to. And this uh, table is uh, a pointer to what uh, I just spoke about uh, in our sermon about the, the wedding feast of the Lamb, that there will be a great banquet that God has for his people in which all that covers us, all the shadows over us are taken away that we're set free from the things that hold us and that our tears are wiped away and that we are with God. So this table is a foretaste, a pointer to this. In the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, we who were far off have been brought near. And we gather as God's children, God's family around his table. And our place here is not because we've earned God's attention or favor, but because of his gift to us in Christ his broken body and shed blood, his righteousness, his taking of our sin upon himself and him giving us his righteousness. That is our place now and it's our place forever till the feast of the lamb fully arrives. So if you know of your need before God and have placed your hope not in yourself or in your good deeds, but your hope in Christ, then come and eat and drink of this table. Be reminded of your place in God's family by his gift for you. Lord, thank you for this table. We thank you for this bread and cup, and we pray, Lord, that you'd use them by your spirit to minister to us. For we come knowing what it is to be weary or to be lost or to be confused, to feel guilty or to have our heads dropped low in shame. We know this, Lord, and we ask that your spirit would meet us and minister to us, to lift our heads in forgiveness and love, to, to set our feet again on the path that is true and the path of life and peace. We ask this by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it. Saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you are participating in communion this morning, I invite you to come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup, and then you can go back to your seats on the side. 
If you're able to hold the elements, I ask that you'd hold them to everyone's been served that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not participating in communion today, we're, we're glad that you're here and we invite you to come forward as well. Just put your arm across your chest and I'm happy to offer a prayer blessing for you or your children here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward now and let us come and receive the gifts that God has given for us.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this uh, table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing and confess as God's people together. Lord Jesus Christ, renew us and grant us your peace as we proclaim the mystery of faith. As followers of Jesus Christ living in this world, which some seek to control, but which others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust, our world belongs to God. From the beginning, through all the crises of our times, until his kingdom fully comes, God keeps covenant forever. Our world belongs to him. Let the earth be glad. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to continue worshiping through a time of giving, uh, an opportunity to bring our offering to God in response to his generosity. So I uh, invite the, the greeters to come forward, and they'll pass uh, a gray basket that you can put your communion cup in and in a silver offering plate. And uh, if you would like to give a gift, you can do that there, or you can see a note in your order that you can also give uh, through the church's website or by text as well. Um, welcome again. We're glad that you're here, especially if you are, are joining us for the first time or just started coming recently. Uh, there is a time of coffee and hospitality after the service right in the hallway right behind me, so hope you can stay after and have a chance to talk. Uh, also, there is a, a, if you're sitting in the center aisle, uh, under your chair, there's a black information pad. I invite you to reach under that your chair and, and fill that out, pick it up and fill it out and pass it down. It's a chance to know who you're worshiping with today. And, and if you are uh, new to the, to the community and uh, encourage you to fill out your information and be happy to share more about the church or, or send you the weekly email that we have. Uh, also, during this time, I want to invite Rob Globke up. Rob is an elder here at the church and also helps with the finance team. He gave some announcement way back in December, and he wants to give a, a follow-up to that as well. Way back. I gave a few announcements uh, in December. Some of you remember, I guess, maybe nagging or harping on you to give uh, at, at your end. So I guess it's fitting that I get to say uh, thank you uh, to the congregation. You guys stepped up big time. And uh, just on behalf of the elders and the staff as well, just want to say thank you for your giving and your generosity at your end. Uh, Chad touched on turning water into wine. I don't think we turned uh, water into wine, but we, we got pretty close. So I, I thank you for that. Um, in your order of worship on the very last page, if you want some just a few numbers or more specifics, there's information on the very last page in the box there. You guys can look at that and see how much you gave total. Uh, and again, just want to acknowledge, um, you know, I, I know times are tough right now for various reasons uh, with economics and, and financials. So just want to uh, thank you very much and uh, we appreciate your giving.
Will you please stand and join us in the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the steadfast love of God surround you now and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. May go in peace.